Communications and Education Manager, and I'm here today with Dr. Kelly Johnson, who is a Assistant Professor of Exercise and Sports Science at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina, so a fellow South Carolina uh, PhD and researcher, and I wanted him to come on today to talk about some body composition research he's doing and to answer some questions that we've seen a lot in our obesity uh, medical provider groups about body composition. So welcome. Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a real pleasure. So yeah, a little bit about my background. So uh, yes, I have my um, PhD is in exercise physiology, um, more specialized in, um, I've kind of branched out to telemedicine, health coaching, um, working with uh, uh, primary care providers um, and looking at weight loss, percentage of weight loss, body composition, um, A1C, um, and kind of looking at how health coaching can be impactful that providers can utilize in their practice um, to help with further uh, behavior, lifestyle change um, outside of doctor visits. Um, and so that's kind of my research line currently. Um, in the past, I've, I've also kind of dabbled in, um, you know, body composition validation. That was kind of my first love. So I've done, I've, I have about 10 papers published in looking at um, comparing like the bod pod to the DEXA to the ultrasound, looking at um, body composition validation and, and looking at how it compares across um, different populations. And that's something that still uh, interests me. And then currently I'm just, I'm just about to start a study with um, obesity medicine providers looking at the body composition changes over time, utilizing um, the anti-obesity medications um, and kind of looking at changes over time in muscle mass and fat mass, and in addition to um, percentage of weight loss. That's great. And I think that's been, you know, something that we've seen a lot of talk in our community about uh, now that we have some of these higher uh, effective anti-obesity medications for diabetes and, and obesity, um, we are hearing people talk about, you know, some of the body composition changes. So, yeah, would you share a little bit about, you know, what kind of you're, you're seeing from that perspective from the providers? What are we looking at? I know lean muscle is, is the concern, but we also know that everybody's not measuring that. We're sort of taking some leaps to say, Yes, we care about this, but um, are we are we necessarily all measuring it? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. You know, I think I think there was you know a, there's been lots of multiple Twitter posts on this. Um, you know, obviously it's an important um, you know it's an important topic, um, and it obviously definitely needs to be addressed and looked at. Um, you know, if you look at the clinical trials um, using you know Ozempic, um, Wegovy, I mean those those trials typically you know if you look at the body composition changes, right? Um, you know you look at muscle lean muscle mass loss it's typically around maybe 25 to 35 percent of muscle loss now you know i think that's so variable it also depends on what method you're kind of utilizing um you know there's only been like maybe two studies that's look at this so you know i think there's a lot out there as far as you know um you know what, what you know from from the you know what can we learn from those studies right well we can learn that you know strength training is super vital right we know that um you know, to maintain muscle mass, especially when you're in a caloric deficit, strength training is vital to maintain that muscle mass. We also know protein intake, right? Um, protein intake is also super crucial. So, um, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, your patients are, you know, eating enough protein to maintain that muscle mass. Um, typical recommendations currently right now is probably if you take your body weight and we divide it by 2.2, that gets to kilograms, then we can multiply that by 1.2 to 1.5. Typically in my research that um, that I've done in the last year, um, it, you know, I, I've done it, I've utilized uh, women with menopause and I'm looking at body composition changes and I'm looking at two different um, 
continuous caloric restriction protocols. Um, there's actually no strength training and uh, strength training um, kind of intervention, and um, but um, it's higher high protein. And I'm finding that the 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight is enough to maintain muscle mass while in a caloric deficit. Of course, the higher the number, the better. But you know, typically when you switch from someone's doing a low protein to a high protein, right? They start experiencing some symptoms such as constipation. That's a common one. Mm-hmm. Loading. So, you know, I mean, my recommendation for all clinicians when I'm talking, you know, when I go to conferences and I'm talking to them about, you know, body composition changes and, and, you know, trying to mitigate muscle loss. I mean, I really stress the importance of protein. And obviously I know that, you know, obviously all the providers are, you know, really recommending high protein for their patients. And then, but the other thing is where I'm noticing, you know, changes is where it's not being addressed is the, um, you know, strength training piece, right. Yes. And the exercise intervention piece. Um, you know, I think that's, that's the big thing, you know, uh, strength training and, and cardiovascular. Well, it's just basic, very basic recommendations, right? Like you should yeah. do that. So yeah, yeah more specifically, how do, how do we do that? I mean, with your, with your background in exercise, I think you're the perfect person to kind of comment on that. Yeah, I mean, sure. So if you look at, you know, current, the current recommendations, I mean, obviously, more, more is better. So, you know, three days a week is, is three days a week is kind of the bare recommendation, you know, eight to 12 repetitions, three sets, you know, 70 to 85% of one repetition max. Again, key thing is, is just maintaining your making sure that your percussion will be older than the muscle. And that way, you're leading to increases in strength and increases of muscle mass and maintenance of muscle mass. Um, you know, so that's kind of the current recommendation. Um, it's probably three days a week at least. Um, you know, if you look at uh, and, and so so that would be good for. So that's what I would suggest for you know if, if you're on a anti anti obesity medication, um, then recommending yeah the high protein strength training three days per week. Um, it doesn't have to really be you know it could be an at home program right. Um, you know you look at the docs who lift um, docs who lift podcast and, and they have a whole great program uh, you yeah. know an at-home program and it's phenomenal right and I'm always curious like those at-home programs you know I mean the benefits that I've heard for that program for patients has been phenomenal and uh, you know it's really awesome to see so like I think there's a lot of room for at-home you know programs um, okay. to, uh, you know with with free weights and you know you, you can you can structure a program you know a exercise prescription at, an at-home program you know, if you can't get access to a gym and you can still have great, you know, improvements in muscle, lean body mass and strength. Right. So it doesn't always have to be going to the gym. Right. Um, so right. that's something to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about the study that you are doing currently or are working on getting folks enrolled is really looking at the anti-obesity medications in real time with clinicians who are practicing. So we know that, you know, these clinical trials that were done, I think, you know, both uh, the recent ones I've looked at, they take a subset of those patients and they may do a DEXA scan on them to look at their body composition. That's not necessarily what everybody's doing in practice. And so I think for me, I'm really interested in hearing, you know, what you find in what people are doing in the clinic and what people, you know, what what can they actually do, right? And that to me is going to be the most effective um, data to come out of that study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you look at, you know, and so that, that's the big question, right? So you look at all the different body composition methods out, right? And uh, unfortunately, you know, um, you know, obviously all of them are estimates, right? And so they all have relative error, 
right? All the different body composition device, um, body composition methods out there have air, right? So, you know, you look at the gold standard, um, you know, I come from a, a lab in my PhD where, you know, uh, Dr. Vivian Hayward and Dr. Ann Gibson, I mean, they're kind of uh, pretty high, uh, pretty ex experts in the field of body composition. And, you know, looking at, um, you know, looking at kind of the overall, you know, what's the gold standard, right? Um, I, I would, I would agree, like, you know, sometimes people, a lot of it's it's kind of out there that you know Dex is the gold standard, right? Um, unfortunately, you know, I I kind of disagree, and the main reason why is because it, from the research that I've done personally, and then you know you look at even a few studies published over the last couple of years that's looked at um, you know reference methods for the Dexa and looking at looking at fat mass and muscle mass changes. Typically, what we find is that um, the Dexa overestimates for fat-free mass, lean body mass for males. And actually overestimates fat mass for women. Okay, and so um, you know, is the Dexter the gold standard? I think I think I, I don't personally, from a professional standpoint, I don't think it is. Um, right? It was it, the main reason why Dexter was created is was it was created for right to measure bone mineral density, to measure your your overall um, your overall. Uh, you know, bone mineral density, your risk for osteoporosis, essentially, right? That's what it was designed for, right? So, um, and based off, like I said, I've done two studies, and both studies were showing, um, you know, that they, they overestimate, that the DEXA always overestimates fat mass. Now, the big reason why that happens is because, right, it scans 60% of your body, and then estimates the other 40%, mm -hmm. right? And it uses pixels and all, you know, some other, you know, physics and stuff like that, right? Um, you know, x-rays and stuff. And so, the issue becomes is that, you know, it's estimating, you know, the other 40%. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not, in my opinion, not very accurate. Right. Um, and, and so like, it'll always overestimates. And I think it's good for bone mineral density. Now, when you combine it with other methods, right. So if you get to say you utilize the DEXA to get a four component model, right. Just to kind of let you know what a four component model is, right. It uses several things It uses, right. Typically you're using an MRI to get muscle, um, lean muscle mass. You're using, uh, the DEXA scan to get um, to get bone, right? Uh, and then you have the water component, um, and then uh, the water component too as well. Um, and so you can kind of uh, you know add all all add all those you know methods up in together, right? And you can essentially get a four component model, and and so and then that's the most accurate kind of if you're looking at the gold standard, right, for body right. composition, a four component model will be the gold standard, right? Um, and so, nothing we do actually clinically, right? So this is yeah, what we do to validate yeah, something I mean, like bioimpedance. Yeah, unfortunately, right, you're not going to have, um, you know, most clinicians, most in a private practice, you're not going to have access to a DEXA, BOD pod, um, you know, uh, in body or a SICA, you know, SICA bioelectron impedance machine, right, in your practice. I mean, maybe, but I, I would say it's pretty slim, right? Maybe if you worked in a hospital setting, but again, if you're in a private practice, you're not going to have any of those equipment. You know, you might have one of those devices, right? And so, um, yeah, so, so that's the issue, right? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, getting the four, four compartment model for the fat mass and the fat-free mass is considered gold standard and DEXA being one of those compartments for the bone minerals. Mm -hmm. And then for muscle mass, more that MRI, which again, mm -hmm. you're not going to do that for a clinical practice. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, the bioimpedance does use those as the reference measures. And so when, we, when we're 70 or sorry, 98, 97% accurate compared to those reference measures, I think I feel pretty confident in using something like bioimpedance in a clinical setting. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you know, if you look at the research, right, I mean, you look at patients with obesity, right, there's there's huge swings in fluid shifts, there's huge swings in muscle mass, um, the muscle mass and fat mass, right, over time. And so, um, you know, the nice thing from the research that I've done and, um, you know, being a body composition expert, right, I've found that really, um, you know, the bioelectroimpedance device is, it's re- it's going to really be able to account for, a f- account for fluid shifts. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's quick and easy, right, too, as well. And, you know, it's very reliable um, for tracking changes over time. Um, and, and, and as long as you're keeping everything consistent and you're having your patients adhere to the pre-test guidelines, which mm-hmm. I guess I can just mention what those are. So typically, if you look at body composition, any if you're doing any type of body composition device, typically it's recommended that you don't exercise 24 hours prior to, that you don't eat or drink four hour, three to four hours prior to. Um, that you uh, no nicotine, no alcohol, 24 hours prior to testing. Um, trying to get at night, coming in fast at eight to 12 hour fast is ideal. Um, and so that's something that you know when clinicians, from a clinician standpoint, time of day, right, is 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 key, right. So preferably the best time to do a body composition test would be in the morning. You know, after you get out of bed, go to the, you know, um, after you get out of bed, come into the, into the office and getting a, you know, that's going to be the most accurate you know, body composition, um, you know, results, to be honest, right? And so, you know, for example, if you have someone coming in in the afternoon to do body composition, I mean, that's fine, but you got to keep everything very, very controlled, right? Typically, if they can wear the same clothing, right, all of those things, that's super important. If they can eat a similar meal, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, again, keeping very everything very, very controlled, um, you're going to get the most accurate, you know, reading and reliability over time. And so that's something where, you know, if clinicians from a clinical standpoint are seeing huge swings in their results, it could be due to their to them not controlling for, um, you know, patient guide guidelines. And so that's okay. something really, I, I, you know, like I said, I know it's sometimes hard to control. But again, if you're really trying to get accurate data, you know, that's the most going to be the most important thing to really follow. Right. Yeah, so you're still recruiting. Um, so if we have healthcare providers who are listening, if they are interested in contributing their data, do you want to share a little bit about, you know, how you're collecting data from other providers and how they can reach out to you? Yeah, sure. That, that's a great question. So, so yeah, so, I, you know, I've always had an interest in, you know, um, you know, tracking change over time. You know, I've done a lot of, I've done a few studies looking at athletic athletes and tracking body composition changes over time. And so obviously, you know, I've gotten more into the clinical uh, realm of things now. And, you know, I really want to kind of dive deep, right? You know, weight on the scale, you know, doesn't really tell you always everything, right? And, um, you know, a lot of patients utilize, you know, weight on the scale is is a measurement. And, um, and, And that's fine and dandy. However, it doesn't really tell you, you know, if someone didn't lose weight, Okay, you know that's okay, but what what was what was their changes in composition? Are they see their are they seeing their clothes fit better, right? Are they having increases in confidence? And so, um, you know, that's something. So I guess I've got more interest in this, especially with all of the, you know, um, all the talk in the media, right? And how you know you know how you know they're saying you know there's you know terms out there saying you know 40 percent, 50 percent of muscle loss, which I mean that that's a that's you know to make those claims, it's sort of um, you know. I don't, I don't I mean, do we have data to support that? You know, uh, probably not right now. Right. And obviously, you know, it's important to measure those things. Right. So with my study, essentially what I'm doing is I'm working with any really any clinician that's measuring body composition. Um, I'm you know, I, I'm right now the, the studies that I mean, the I'm utilizing Sika and InBody, um, but I'm willing to, you know, if you have a DEXA scan. Right. I'm, you know, pretty much what's happening is 
um, I have like just an agreement with a doctor where they're just sending me um, de-identified data and then I'm looking at kind of body composition changes and then once I get enough data kind of collected then you know I'll collaborate with these clinicians on a nice multi-site manuscript publication paper um, so yeah I mean that, that just to get you know to get the real data out there and try to figure out you know what are the really the changes that we're seeing with these anti-obesity medications because I mean we're seeing amazing you know amazing results you know to these anti-obesity medications are game changers for obesity for patients with obesity and um you know it's, it's just so you know mind-blowing to me but i mean definitely yeah we know as you're losing weight yeah you're going to lose muscle mass and but re- what's really that real change you know and body composition right so from you know maybe every uh, typically as far as like looking at changes you know typically you know um anywhere varies from four weeks to uh, as far as timelines, you know, depends on when they come and visit the clinician, but sometimes it's, you know, biweekly or maybe they're measuring on a a monthly basis or every three months, you know, so I'll kind of look at the different time points depending on what, how clinicians are, um, how they're measuring it, right? Um, If they're measuring every three months, that's great. If they're measuring every two months, what, you know, if they're measuring every month right in the beginning, I mean, that's great to know, but um, I get that, you know, time, their time is valuable. And, you know, um, so, yeah, you know, trying to measure to every visit or every, you know, so, yeah, as far as the timelines, it's kind of variable. So I'm going to kind of just have to look at the data when when stuff was measured. And then, you know, maybe there might be some other subset, you know, data um, research manuscripts that I can, you know, that we can write up together with these clinicians. And again, just to get the data out there, I think it's super vital um, and it can help, you know, clinicians to learn, okay, well, on average, right, this is what we typically see. Now, how can we mitigate that mu- that muscle loss as much as we can, right? Is it, you know, higher protein, resistance training, right? Exercise is medicine, right? Um, and so really kind of harvesting that, you know, that piece in addition to, you know, having a good lifestyle prescription um, for nutrition. Great. Well, yeah. So I'll I'll link to your information, but reaching out to you by email or through social yes. media. Yeah. Yes. Social media. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram. Um, you can find me on there. I'm more than happy to uh, you know uh, uh, have a discussion. Um, definitely, there'll be more to come on you know body composition, you know devices and 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 reference methods and reference values and and how can you um, how can you kind of utilize that data from a clinician standpoint to help your patients, you know, um, improve lifestyle change. So, um, right. definitely there's more to come in that, in that, in that realm. Yeah. Let's plan on talking again about that. Cause I do get a lot of questions about that. And I think people are, are real interested in how to take that data and actually translate it into conversations and, um, actually impact the patient's outcomes. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love, love this stuff. It's, you know, it's a big passion of mine and, you know, the more we can help, you know, clinicians and patients, the better, right? Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Johnson. And uh, we'll we'll definitely schedule a follow-up to talk more about this. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.